The views and opinions expressed by the producers, hosts, and guests of Flash Black Radio do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Flash Black or its parent company. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, people? Uh, bringing in the show today. Lyricless again, me, T. Rich, calling in from my couch because uh, holiday and self-care. So, also calling in from my couch. couch because holiday and self-care. I also don't know what's going on in the world, but I always have a comment. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> coming Hilarious. to us from our regular recording area <laughs> to my left, and you guys can decide what that is. Lee Benson the third, aka Da Vinci Parks. To my right. That's double. He of brevity. Um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're just gonna go ahead. We're gonna try to figure this shit out because we've all been not paying attention to anything. Excuse me. Outside of gas. The unbloat. Well, we've been hanging with each other and, you know, you the know, unbloating. Living life outside of looking at the news every five seconds. It happens every now and then. We have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that happens. Good brunch yesterday. It yes. was. I have to make my mom some of those cookies and send them to her. They are quite delicious. Well, let's, well. Let's, let's not talk about the cookies. I mean, right you now, know, you can. They're gone. Yeah. You can just like, you know, make some for flowers as well. Just a you know. I don't need a lot of cookie. Just a little bit of cookie is all just I Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit of that cookie. Oh, I know a woman named Cookie. So speaking of people who need a lot of it or a little cookie, um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember the story of the woman who was in a vegetative state in um is this Florida? I am or do recalling I just want this. to put everything on Florida? Is this with the husband who wanted to pull the plug, but the family didn't? Is that what No, okay. this is where the healthcare worker. Into my spot, you ungrateful. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, I'm sure she could speak. She actually would have said that. It's in Arizona, and uh, one of the healthcare workers raped her and got her pregnant. Oh, oh no. I don't, oh, I didn't, do, 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 I do remember do, do, do. this. This, this fuckery in uh with the lady who's been unconscious since she was three. I don't know how long she's been unconscious. Maybe. Yeah, she's been she was she was in like some kind of dr- near drowning accident when she was three. So she's basically been in care for the last twenty three years. And newsflash, did you already say this? Not her first pregnancy. Nope, you said it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I thought you had already covered that. Right. No, this is not her first pregnancy. The doctor tells us. She's been raped repeatedly and mm. has been pregnant at least one other time. Wow. Um, yeah. Which which begs a whole bunch of questions. The first thing I'm going to ask is where are her babies? Yeah, because so did the did she give birth to the last Dude, she gave, she gave yeah, birth. She was in she labor birth. Let me just before anybody, quote unquote, because they, it out. Wait, but like, well, her stomach had to have gotten. They nobody noticed. Like I said, she was yes. trying to deliver a whole ass baby when they unconscious she was pregnant. Wow. So they call it a repeat Paris event, which means that she has given birth. Not exactly sure what happened or how no one noticed before that she was pregnant. Um, or where these babies are. Um, but now, of course, the family wants to come forward and sue and say how horrible and wrong this is and talk about all of these, quote-unquote, unspeakable atrocities, which I'm just confused about. Like, if you were visiting her regularly, you would have noticed. But Somebody paying the bills? She If she'd been on life support for over 20 years. State. The state is paying the bills? So it's not quite life support. Um, 
in that she's in a hospital. She's like, she's in like an assisted care facility. So she's in like some sort of. Yeah, she's not like a Terry Shiva from what right. I understand. That's what I was There's thinking. Not of. a whole bunch of machinery keeping her alive. No. She's just basically <clears throat> in a vegetative state, except for the fact that unlike Terry Shiva, her body still is able to regulate its own breathing and heartbeat. So like she's a machineless person, but she's essentially unconscious. Yeah. And I mean, after 23 years and, and, and multiple pregnancies, I, I think we can probably venture to say not going to wake up. That just sounds like a wrong statement. 23 years and multiple pregnancies. Well, that's because it is. I, I know. It's just, it's just like the first thing I thought of is kill Bill. That's well, I, I mean, and, and I think that, you know, this begs the question i think the bigger question aside from the fact that you know like all of this has been happening to this woman is what happens to people who are in vegetative states for decades at a time because the reality is you know and very few people will talk about this honestly but like going to visit somebody who don't respond to you you know what i'm saying that shit gets old fast you know, and so I think that there are probably a lot of people, you know, maybe not statistically, but numerically, a lot of people in the same state as this woman who like, you know, all kinds of things are happening to them. So, because the reality is who goes to visit people who've been in vegetative states for decades? Well, clearly no one was visiting her. Mm. Um, but what happened to the first child? <laughs> And that's why I'm asking where her baby's at, because the reality is, you know, if she had one in almost secret, then I mean, as far as I'm concerned, she could have had one every year for the last 20 years. Because like, what the fuck? She was literally in labor before anybody noticed anything. And I just feel like they're not even doing real good standard like care because like, I mean, so like somebody's nine months pregnant and she's getting a bath, you know what I'm saying? On, let's say a weekly basis and nobody notices, you know what I'm saying? That like, I don't know, her stomach is getting bigger. Especially when there's like not been any change in her nutritional plan. And which also begs to question, like, how are you providing nutrition? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I, and it's like, the, I don't know the type of person to even do some shit like that. It's just like, that's. Well, uh, people are trash. Yeah. yeah there, there's so many things wrong with a story like this. I, I wouldn't even, I don't even know where to, I don't even know where to begin. It, I guess also as a note for us, uh, you know, it, it may be important for us to think about things like, you know, you never know when you could potentially end up in a situation like this. Uh, living wills are important, making sure you, you know, know, know what you would want if you, you know, ended up in a vegetative state. Advanced directives. Uh, yeah. Advanced directives, uh, who has power of attorney to make decisions for you. Um, I mean, so that's important stuff to think about. Uh, uh, that's the only thing I can think about in a situation like this because, like, it would, uh, all the other stuff is just horrific. It's monstrous. Well, well, and, and so Zeke Emanuel, uh, Rahm Emanuel's brother, he was uh, he's a medical ethicist. He worked at NIH, and he actually wrote a book about you know we got a lot of ethical questions that we have not answered or asked really, and and that people when at they do ask them. They get left unanswered and a lot of people um, kind of fall under this, again, pro-life banner. But the reality is like all this modern medical technology where we're saving lives, we don't really ask questions about what is the quality of life in the mm -hmm. aftermath of all this saving. You know, because the reality is, you know, this woman has been, you know, mm -hmm. on life, you know, essentially just persisting. For the last 23 years, you know what I'm saying? Clearly, somebody stopped visiting her a long time ago. And it's like, that's the aftermath of medical technology. We don't want to talk about it. But like, you know, probably 50 years ago, that three-year-old child would have died. And so we got a whole lot of people in care. that, that and, and especially, you know, when we talk about the kind of life-saving techniques that go into saving uh, neonatal pregnancies, we got a lot of people in care. And we got a lot of people 
who will be entering care, when you think about car accidents, when you think about the amount of you know medical technology that goes into saving people with horrific battlefield wounds. I mean, people have to live with this aftermath. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times it's just, you know, caring for an individual that has all the biological functioning going on, but nothing else. You know what I'm saying? And that's 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 expensive. And fuck the dollars. It's emotionally expensive. It's mentally expensive. It's psychologically expensive for everybody involved. I'm imagining uh, that's what happened with the loved ones of that child. Mm-hmm. For if, if it happened at three years old, it's one of those things like there's probably that hope that, OK, she'll turn around, she'll recover. And over time, it's just like the the pain of seeing no progress eventually they they transitioned her in their mind and their hearts so like well, it's, in, in it's the, care fatigue and i yeah. mean on some levels she is dead she's just not yeah so i th- i think it's for them they've already moved on in a sense so it's one of those things like going back is like i don't know like it's difficult you know i have people that i really care about you know that have passed away and, and like going to graves it's just like like going to a gravesite is that's difficult. You know what I mean? It's it's like so I, I, I imagine it would be no less different. I've seen the unfortunate um fallout or, you know, damage that you like the loved ones feel when someone has advanced dementia or Alzheimer's. I was thinking about that. Uh the it's 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 horrible. I, I remember experiencing that as a teenager, seeing somebody that was uh close to me go take care, you know, go to visit her mother because she was taking care of her mother until she couldn't and it got to a point where, you know, she put her in a home and, like, you know, she couldn't remember her own daughter but could remember me. You know what I mean? Just shit like that. So it was just like, I could imagine it can be just difficult. And um, so I'm not casting any dispersions because this obviously is the first time I've heard about this. So I'm not casting dispersions on the, on the family of the, of the child, but it does beg a lot of questions as to, you know, well, who care, is, huh? Oh, I was going to say care fatigue is real. And yeah. so who, who, what, what, what measures do we as a society have to, you know, put in place when this sets in? Cause there's a whole lot of people, but yeah, know, be they old I mean, people, what you what you're saying is real but my my thing what I was getting to is and and this is a very real concern because you know at some point uh uh you and I and uh nurse Jamie are going to get together and have a, a a different conversation about uh medical care uh and you know the, just the rigors of dealing with that um but my concern is like what type of safeguards are actually being put in place in these facilities because it feels like when you get to stuff like aftercare facilities and nursing homes and things of that nature, it feels like a lot of people experience very lackluster care. You know what I mean? It's just like, what are the, what are, who are the people that you're putting in place to take care of people? Cause some people like, when you talk about nursing homes, nursing homes can be even not, not even the best nursing homes can be easily 80, 90 a year, you know? So, like if you're paying that or you're like what like you're paying for like a care to take care of somebody whatever who are you actually hiring to actually carry out that thing because at the end of the day somebody is I don't know like I thought of kill bill and the reason why I thought of kill bill is because there was a in in the movie kill bill there was an employee who was letting people come in they were he was uh allowing people to pay yeah, him to come he was in charging people yeah to yeah. come in and like yeah you can sleep with this one come right here she's really pretty she yeah because yeah, she's she's in a coma it's like yeah you can come in and do what you want to do or just like don't beat her up that's it so it's just like i'm like is, is this medical facility staff that's doing this are they allowing other people to come in is this like it's, it's just it's 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 yeah i don't i don't have words but he at but, least had enough forethought to make sure you know she she couldn't have kids, you know. So I guess there's, I guess there's that. If you're gonna be a monster, you know, be a, be <laughs> yeah, a, be a better, be a better planner as a monster. Like make sure you vet all your monstrous activity before you engage in it. Like I don't, I don't know, man. The the that, I, I think about it like this. When you go out into the world, how many people do you interact with on a daily basis while they are doing their job? People, you know, your colleagues in your workplace, 
people in customer service situations, restaurants, department stores, what have you. The overwhelming majority of people you interact with, they don't even enjoy what they're doing. Like they, nope. they don't, not passionate they about don't it. like what they're doing. They don't like the fact that they have to do it. A lot of people don't like the fact that they have to do anything because they're entitled, like whatever, um, laziness or, you know, they just haven't, you know, it could be a, a, a more human thing where, you know, we aren't allowed to explore like what is the best fit for us, you know, because we're not allowed to like analyze that whatever you for whatever reasons. Good reasons, bad reasons. People don't like their work. They're not invested in their work. And that's like customer service. That's like, you know, uh, working in litigation support or working in records management or working in graphic design or working. So the people who are performing medical care, like they're human people who also don't care like they also are, don't like what they're doing a lot of people do jobs because it's circumstantial job like that's the course of their life and that's where they ended up at so seeing the leap from that to like the monstrous act of like raping women while they are in a vegetative state that's that's a whole nother level mm-hmm. but Seeing how people could be lackluster and not catch the things as they're happening, I can totally see that. Yeah, because people are just lazy and they're not invested in what they do and they don't care. So, and and I'm not disagreeing with any of what you said. And I I think part of the part part of what I struggle with as a human being in this world is I still even at this age have this nasty streak of idealism that is just deeply rooted in me. Of like, you know, like the expectation of people being better than they are. And I have that expectation of self too. <clears throat> so, excuse me. Um, so one of the things that strikes me particularly um, as egregious in this scenario is anytime you're talking about somebody who took an oath, that to me is more of a demarcation from your delineation, like in terms of like, yo, what you should and should not do. You, you're taking an oath to serve like the public trust and the public well-being when you're taking on a Hippocratic oath, when you're taking on earth to oath to protect and serve, when you're taking an oath to run into buildings, um, like to like, you know, like, you know, for fires and stuff like that or whatever. So like when I hear, for example, and this is not necessarily the same thing, but it's not dissimilar in the sense of taking an oath. When you hear about people who might take an oath to like protect the service police officers or firemen, but don't want to actually save those who don't look like them or who they don't identify as human or whatever, when they clearly are, you know, that, that to me is like, all that is troubling, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, like how to like, so my question, I guess, and I'm not asking anybody here to answer it, but my question is how do we root these, these type of individuals out of those positions? Cause at the end of the day, you know, like, I think we've seen or experienced bad care for somebody who took an oath or bad, bad responsibility or fiduciary responsibility with somebody taking an oath, whether it be a police officer, you know what I'm saying, who wasn't behaving professionally, whether it be a nurse who was being rude or um, and not responsive in terms of like, you know, providing care and information, you know, whatever the situation may be. And it's just at the end of the day is not acceptable when you're talking about the care of, of other human beings that you took an oath to uphold. That's my perspective. And uh, I'm taking an oath in a nursing home. I don't, you Girl. don't, you don't, you don't do that. Girl. You don't do no, that. Like, like only doctors and nurses. <laughs> you have yes. an interview and you get hired. Doctors? You may have to like become like a certified nursing assistant. So you can like take blood pressure and a couple of other like nursing assistance type duties, but saying that you take some sort of oath to become a healthcare worker at a nursing home is very idealistic. Okay. See, but that's my ignorance then. The that's my ignorance. Thing. My ignorance was like that, that these are like people who are along the same lines as the only people in your mm-hmm. medical team who took some kind of oath is definitely a doctor and maybe a nurse. And your doctor Nobody. is not there all the time. The doctor right. probably has two or three other jobs. Look, he's the least likely person to physically touch you. Yeah. Of all the people who are on your healthcare team, the one person who has taken the oath is the least likely to have physically touched you. 
And in most even best case scenarios, really only have the presence of, you know what I'm saying, a highly involved landlord. You know what I'm saying? And really, most of them are kind of like absentee landlords in the sense that like they write orders and, you know what I'm saying, they expect them to be carried out. And they're not even really always quick to respond when there's a problem with the orders that they've written. So the person I mean, most likely to interact with you is the, the nurse, person right? who's had the no, huh. the nursing assistant. Huh. Right. Exactly. The That's person, person. who has had like the least amount of training and education. And gets the least amount of respect. So even if they were to report certain things in certain situations, they actually risk their jobs because everybody else above them makes more money, has um, more power over them. And ultimately, it's it's while, while the lowest person on the totem pole, which is a healthcare worker, may have been responsible for the rape of this woman. The reality is there was systematic ignorance, you know what I'm saying, which equates to complicity on behalf of all of the people in that facility. So the reality is if you really want better care for people, whether it be children, old people, disabled people, the reality is the people who actually put their hands on you should be paid probably $100,000 a year and get guaranteed sick leave. I mean, we know the reason why norovirus continues to wipe out, you know what I'm saying, nursing home after nursing home is because the people who work in them are typically women, usually single, who don't have any kind of sick leave or ability to take off when their children are sick. And so norovirus is a child's disease that goes into nursing homes and kills old people because we don't allow mothers to have the health care or benefits or sick leave they need to take care of their sick children at home. Because the reality is nobody who works in a healthcare setting should go into work if anybody in their household, themselves included, has diarrhea. No one. Realistically, like I understand the whole, you know, caretaker fatigue, but the person who gets visited the least is usually the person who gets treated the worst. Because if you know you have someone who's coming by, and I say this as someone who's worked in a facility for um, people who were people who had developmental disabilities and were, you know, in various stages of ambulation, the unit that I worked on, they were like bedridden. And there were like three families out of. I want to say maybe about 15 people. There were three families that came and visited their family members regularly. And when you see the amount of care and concern and time that's taken to make sure, you know, these people are cared for at a level that is people not across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, you know, Jane comes in and she sees that John, you know, his face isn't completely clean or he's got crud in his eyes or, you know, he's got bed sores or whatever. They, and I've heard stuff like that too. People who've had loved ones in care and in, in care or whatever, and they were going to see them. And like, you know, they find out that they're like one, maybe immediately because they were scared, but you know, they might've found out that one of their loved ones be, was being abused by a staff or multiple staff members or through neglect or just being just outright just cruel. So there's also that. My mother spent 35 hours a week minimum at the nursing home when my grandparents were in care because what she did for a living was regulate nursing homes. And so she understood all of what could go wrong and actually had to live through and, you know, live through caring for people who were experiencing some of the worst of what could go wrong. Like the reality is, you know what I'm saying? That if to have people in care, that's a full time job. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, on some levels, it's almost easier if they lived in your house. The only problem is if they lived in your house, you would never get a break from the situation because like it would be in your house. But like my mother was there six, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Maybe five if she wasn't feeling well or, you know what I'm saying, had some like personal activities going on. But she was there every day for at least an hour, you know what I'm saying? And, you know what I'm saying, she would usually stay an hour or two because the amount of commute time, it was like, well, I I might as well sit and catch my breath before I have to turn back around and go back to where I came from. Hmm. So it's not just the time that you spend there, but it's the commute time. And then there's all this calling, doing paperwork, you know what I'm saying, making sure that they're not double billing you, you know what I'm saying, like all all kinds of stuff. Um, 
because it's, it's, it's not just, oh, you put your relative in this uh, facility and then, you know what I'm saying, you like kind of like dust your hands off and you go on about your business and, you know, it's all well and good. Like it's none of that. You get monthly statements. You get statements from Medicare. You know what I'm saying? If they are eligible, you get statements from Medicaid. You know what I'm saying? You still have to manage prescription plans and all kinds of benefits plans because the reality is all of those facilities do is house your loved one. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But you still have to make sure that they have, you know what I'm saying? If they're not eligible for Medicaid, then you have to make sure that they have supplemental insurance. You have to make sure that their prescriptions are getting filled. You know what I'm saying? You, you know what I'm saying, have to make sure they get to and from specialist appointments because even if the facility will arrange, you know what I'm saying, the transportation for them, it's up to you to take them there and get the appointment. They don't do that. So, you know, if there's not somebody there to manage the care, they're not being cared for. Um. There's a lot of truth um, in everything Christian T. Rich just said. I uh, have a lot of anecdotal experience with this. Uh, for those who know, um, in 2006, on Christmas Day, my mom had a stroke um, and uh, she had an artificial heart valve um, after having surgery when I was 10 years old. Um, her heart was not strong enough for her to do rehab. So over the course of the next year, um, the end of 2006, 2007, uh, to the beginning of 2008, when she passed in February, she was either in nursing homes, assisted living facilities, or, um, ICU units, uh, just because attempting to do the rehab would be too stressful. And she ended up having to go back to the emergency room. Um, but my mother was in a situation where, it's very similar to this. She was trapped inside her own body. Um, she she still had like cognitive functionality, but she couldn't speak. Um, so and she didn't have enough control to write things down. Um, fortunately, we had a kind of kind of relationship where uh, I could kind of understand some of the communications she was trying to get to me. Um, but I I just understood that if she was going to be taken care of properly. I needed to be up there every day. So from 2006 to 2008, I was at the hospital every day um, at the nursing home every day, varying my visiting schedule so that they didn't anticipate when I was coming up there. So I would Mm -hmm. go different times of day so they didn't know when to expect me. Um, I had questions every time I went up there. Um, If I saw other uh, patients uh, or residents, depending on what type of facility they were in. And it looks like they were roaming and they had a certain amount of mobility. Um, I would ask questions about who's watching them, who's keeping an eye on them. What's the tendency of the other patients? Because if somebody is in a, in a facility because they have experienced some sort of mental episode or there's some, been some sort of mental degeneration, it might not be necessarily an employee that's abusing somebody. It could be somebody that doesn't have uh, all their cognitive functionality that could be abusing someone. So I did this and, and the fatigue is real. Um, I, it's now 2019. I would say the images of seeing my mother in that state were regular. And I had a lifetime of memories of my mother. The only thing I could remember for the first five years after she passed were the images of her um, after her stroke when she was ill. So it took so long for me to heal enough that I could remember all of the wonderful memories that we built together before she had the stroke. Um, Not to mention I had to use leave, you know, from work frequently, um, all the administrative things. And I didn't have a lot of money back then. And my mother didn't have a lot of money. Um, and she had some medical coverage. Some things were covered. Some weren't. Um, so like Chrissy said, it was like it was a juggling game. And I was doing it by myself um, the entire time. Um, I did have a spouse at the time. Um, she was uh, intermittently supportive. Um but I, I was overwhelmingly doing that by myself. 
And my mother's situation was not as bad as some of the situations I have seen. It was, I, you know, I don't, I don't rate and compare people's struggle. That was, if, if people were really close to me, you know, that's one of the most traumatic things I ever experienced. My mother and I were best friends. Um, and it was just really sad for me to see that I still miss her every day. I'm probably never going to stop doing that. But the, just the portion about the care, not the loss of the person, you know, from your life, it, it's exhausting. And in the moment, you don't even really consider it, you know, for some people. Um, but some people, they just don't have like the resilience to keep doing that. And going every day becomes going a few times a week. And then a few times a week becomes once a week. And then once a week becomes monthly. And then monthly becomes when I get back from this work trip or when I get like it just it's just a natural progression. And I don't think I think when you that's the people who are caring for then uh, uh, like the, the family members who are caring for the person. Then you look at the professionals who work in the place It's like. They people just have a threshold for how much of this stuff they could see. And we were talking earlier about how regular, you know, people like they just don't have a high regard for the type of work they're doing. And, you know, the only people you see really able to maintain the high level of professionalism needed to care for people in these circumstances, they are extraordinary people. Uh And that is like, that's not sustainable. One, some of the things you could do are some of the things that Christy said, which are uh, just like teachers, healthcare professionals need to be compensated properly. That's something you can do. Uh, T. Rich said, "Have your butt up there." If a family member, um, you know, is uh, finds themselves ill in this situation. Go up to the facility regularly, repeatedly, make your face known. The The overall systemic problem, though, is like how are we socializing people about caring for other human beings, how are we like like teaching kids empathy and sympathy when they're young. How are we helping people identify what the proper career paths for them are so they don't end up in these circumstantial situations where they're just doing whatever they can do to get a paycheck because they made some decisions as they went along their lot through their lives and now they got this degree in this or they got these jobs and they kept getting promoted and you know like Mm -hmm. there's so many social things we can do to try to put people in the right seats so that they're not just like successful by some nebulous definition of successful, but that they're doing the things that they are best suited to do. It takes the most compassionate, the most sympathetic, the most empathetic person to be able to care for somebody like this for several years and not burn out doing it. Mm -hmm. They also have to have enough revenue so that they can take vacations and decompress. They also have to have schedules so that they can go spend time with their family and see images that aren't just the images of pain and sorrow that they see when they're at work in these facilities. This, this, the solution has many tears and it's the same solutions to all the problems we talk about on shit. You might've missed. It's all like getting down to people and how we're treating people, how we're teaching people, how we're teaching people to interact with each other and just making people like the most important thing. That's what I think. I don't have a mic drop sound, so <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. We're gonna have need that. to get you a sound effects board. Yeah, yeah, so man. That, 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 I'm gonna try. I've looked down that a number of times. Uh, that, that that's something that remains in the work. If you know people out there want to like help provide one, that's great. But uh, like yeah, they, they're not cheap. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And the apps they have are just like not. They're not worth it. The apps are terrible and have ads and yeah, it's not good. So you can get that dude from uh police academy. Oh, Michael uh Damn what's him? Him. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. <laughs> come, come do these sound effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh speaking of mic drops and sound effects, there's a new movie coming out in early July called Loquisha. Hmm. 
Have you all heard about Loquatia? No, no, I have I, not. I don't like where this is going. Is this going to give me joy or piss yeah, me off? I, I feel I'm going to make you mad. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Loquatia is about a white man who was trying to get a job um, on a radio station and he could not. So he decided to um, imitate the voice of a black woman. But he never went in. He did like a phone interview or something. And it's all kinds of exaggerated African-American vernacular. And I read a think piece on this. Is this the inverse of sorry to bother you in some weird way? It's minstrelsy. Yeah. It's just straight up and down. It's soul man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like I was thinking soul man. Yeah, mm-hmm. trying to get the. As I, I got older, I was like, like James Earl Jones was a part of that. I was like, how did that happen? But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. So one of the actors um, did an interview. One of the black actors and was like, "Hey, I don't find anything offensive about this. I don't see why people would be bothered. You know, it's just humor. Blah 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 blah." Um, and I guess Loquacia is supposed to be like a play on loquacious. I'm not sure, but the movie trailer is this white man. Like coming in between this black woman's head, he's like pulling off this mask. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I got and you. It's, yeah, so it's supposed to be. Um, yeah, okay, I'm, innovative, I, some shit. I don't know. It sounds like uh, sounds like trash. It sounds like it's encouraging all black women to discover their inner white man. Well, also, it's just like playing with the whole idea of like, you know, the quote unquote fat, black, Mm. sassy woman who is usually the maid, but isn't this time. And like one of the lines is something like a a white woman calls in and the man who's posing as a woman is like, oh, look, we ain't got no time to talk to you. And it's just like, oh, my God. I mean, when you hear it. It's the absolute worst shit. But you know what? Loquisha's still the motherfucking maid because at the end of the day, it's a black woman's persona doing the heavy lifting for this white man. So, mm. I mean, I just feel like this whole storyline is something that a black director and writer would have a hard time pulling off, you know what I'm saying, and not getting absolutely trashed for because, you know what I'm saying, like Dave Chappelle, what made him quit his job, you know what I'm saying, was not that motherfuckers was laughing. It was how they was laughing. So mm-hmm. I just feel like black people will have a hard time pulling this off. And I know this comes from the hand of uh, some white man. So, like, I'm all the way next on this. And, like, there's no redeeming it. And it's still a black woman doing the heavy lifting for a mediocre white man. Who's the voice of LaQuisha? Do we know that? Hold, please. Well, it's a guy. It's, it's, oh, the guy is oh, so actually he's, he's like doing, doing the voice. He's doing an impression. Woman. I get that, but I yeah. like you know. Sorry to bother you. That was clearly a white dude doing the voice of of, of the you know when they were calling on the phone. Oh but, yeah, no, this this ain't no. one of those. Well, I didn't know. <laughs> That's what I was asking. Like I assumed it was like one of those things. Like you know, you just like do voiceover. So okay, so he's actually okay. Interesting. Yeah, well. Jeremy Seville is the writer, director, and star of this. Mm. Why is that unfamiliar? I don't know, but I I don't think I could boycott fast enough. I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> this is this is gonna be it's Jeremy Seville. Why is that name? What else has he been in? How did I how did I boycott? There's I ways I that I boycott things movies. without saying the names of them on social media. Somehow, I don't know, but. Hopefully it yeah, I mean, does hear- terribly. That's that's the thing. That's the best you can hope for, and maybe get some people speaking out about it, um, so that you know, to just to be reminded that this is not it's not appropriate. Um, is is wrong? Like this, the making this movie is inappropriate. Is wrong. And he looks the like the whitest white man. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when you hear it. I don't know. It didn't look like a, it wasn't some stretch. It wasn't like Sorry to Bother You where there was some white actor who was actually doing the voiceovers for the people. It's, yeah, it's, it's him. It's definitely him in some minstrelsy. And mm. I don't know if you can, I don't know if there would be a way that you could play it that it could be fed into the Yeah, podcast. I mean, I, I, I guess I could pull it up on, like, I could I could pause for a second I could pull it up on YouTube or whatever. If it's, is, it a, is it a YouTube thing? 
It has uh, a trailer. Yeah. Yeah, they have a uh, they have a whole tra- a whole trailer. Oh uh, shit! I mean, if you send me this, if you send me the link, I can I can play it. I mean, so I, I mean, the root to. just basically broke it down into these few sentences. I'm gonna just read some excerpts. Uh, a white bartender disguises his voice as a stereotypical black woman to get the radio host job he couldn't as a white man. They named the movie Loquisha. Um, it's a few thinly veiled magical Negroes thrown in the mix. And, you know what I'm saying? They're supposed to be some kind of, you know, plot, some, 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 some kind of subversivity or something that's supposed to save all of this hot trash. But um, I'm a, no, I, I agree with the root hard pass on this. Yeah, the, the messaging is, <laughs> is already completely wrong. Like, <laughs> So there's so so black so black women the the privilege of black women are now preventing white men. Uh, yeah, well, you know, white men are to, you that, know succeed. that's what's happening. Well, that that's yeah. actually like the the way that a lot of white men are riding right now. That they're they're the most disadvantaged right now because everybody else is getting consideration over them. So like you know, it's easy like when no, you, we're not getting considered over them. We're getting considered. Because we're qualified, and now the reality is you actually have to actively compete with us. And I just really want people to understand a couple of things about this world that we live in. First of all, we live in a wartime economy, and you know what I'm saying? World War II veterans are dying in droves, you know what I'm saying? So the reality is we've been in a wartime economy, what, 40, 50, 60 years past the war being over? So there's that, you know what I'm saying? We need to get out of this war economy mentality. So there's that. Then there's also yeah, that, right. like, you know what I'm saying? The ultimate moral of the story is that this mediocre white man magically invented his own black woman to save his ass. And I just feel like hard pass on that because as a black woman, I'm not interested in saving anybody but myself and maybe some other black women, too. Because at this point, you know what I'm saying? All of y'all are just riding coattails. I just can't even understand it. He just wanted to make a funny film that would bring joy and laughter to all the people watching it. And when you watch the entire film, you will see there's much more here than meets the eye. There's, so there's nothing there that meets the eye because what he led, led with nothing. was, I just want people to laugh. Nothing. White and, man and had a none of it's going to meet my idea eye. That other white men said, we think this is funny too. And so now it's a movie that we got to talk about. So do we want to play this this trailer or not? Because I mean, I can not play the trailer and be nope, totally fine. No, because I'm not giving anybody YouTube views. I feel about this shit the way I feel about Taylor Swift and Donald Trump. I read the quotes. Did you love the Taylor Swift and Donald Trump? Race and gender. It's about spirit over form. Our diverse and talented cast was happy to be a part of it. They were happy to get a get a. Yeah, gig. when attention whores do fuck shit, I don't click them links. Okay. They get off on that shit too. Hey, all of us attention whores aren't bad. Like <laughs> some of us attention whores are, are we're okay people. It's just amazing that we're still well. People are trash. Did you just self edit in the middle of your thought? Yeah. I did. I, did. <laughs> I, okay. I absolutely did. Okay. I was about to say it's just amazing that we're doing this in 2019, but this seems like the absolute. I feel like we were saying that in 2016, 17, and 18. Is like I had um, taken a work-sponsored outing to the Holocaust Museum. This is a side note on Friday, and it's just amazing how it's like. Oh, so it's, wait, I'm sorry. Am I looking at stuff from 1933 and 1945 mm-hmm. or 2019, where they're talking about like America first and you know putting immigrant children behind fences and shit? And so yeah, I did self-edit because yeah, I mean. Yeah. People have been trash. People will probably continue to be trash. And that will probably be the whole thing that brings down the human race. We're trash. Everything about us is trash. You know, I don't believe in soap and mouth, but if I ever have to be a parent, then I promise you a soap and mouth phrase will be, I can't believe it's whatever year it is and black people are still right. No, go, please. Wash your mouth out with soap. You know what I'm saying? The reality is they still mad that we're not collateral. Next. Not even black people, just people. <laughs> just people in general are trash. Definitely. Right, this is true because women, black people, I would use any any insert into that, which is like that the amazing thing about museums because it gets you, it gives you the opportunity to see like, oh, we've just always been trash. Odes to trashness. Mm-hmm. It's just it's, it's so amazing to me because they're like, there are like 
white people who understand their privilege, they understand the reality of implicit bias, um, they actively work to thwart the effects of cognitive dissonance. Uh, and I, I just, I, I know, I know some of them and I just don't understand like how it why can, aren't they contagious in the exactly exactly are? like why why is it so i mean i guess i do know because I, you know but human human nature you know people do what's comfortable and people do what they've known and america was built on the trash that um we experience so you know there people and people continue teaching this to their kids whether it's active or inactive um i even uh, i was listening to npr and i gotta find a, a specific podcast in a specific show but they were saying it's like there's certain uh conservative views versus progressive views there is some brain chemistry that would indicate that people would be predisposed in one direction or the other. Um, not that they're, you're not born a Republican, you're not born, born a Democrat or an independent, but if someone has like a, a view that has been categorized socially as a more conservative view, that there's like some brain chemistry that will make people more inclined to Aren't go along with people? that. So it could be, I gotta, I really gotta find a specific podcast and listen to the specific uh, story so that I could come back with more information. I think um, it was Shankar Vedantham on Probably. Hidden yes. Brain. Hidden Brain yes, is real with it. it hidden brain. I think we listen to it. I think ultimately they're kind of more fearful. Yeah, I think, I think it, it makes sense. Like if you predicate, you know, your, your being in your position because you're exceptional, but you have an innate sense that you're not even though if you don't want to admit it to yourself, you haven't done anything to actually be exceptional. You haven't done anything to get where you are. And everything is like pointing at like the, like the faults and flaws and the weaknesses of others or whatever. And you haven't actually had to compete and other people are scrapping and scraping to get where you are. And you haven't done anything to stay where you are or whatever. There's going to be a natural fear <laughs> that's there. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's unfortunate because at the end of the day, like, you know, comes down to it that's what a lot of this country has been like built upon is the whole exceptionalism particularly of the white male archetype and at the end of the day when you haven't had to compete with anybody but maybe a couple of your own or whatever and everybody else has been kind of checked in place because you know there's just natural checks and malice of people on the bottom trying to scrape and scrap to get to the top when things starts getting exposed it's it's harder to keep the lid on which is kind of the funny thing because when you look at like what Takiya was saying she was went to the museum uh, sorry, T. Rich was saying when she went to the museum and saw that they were talking about the same things that we're discussing now. Um, Reagan was talking about make America great again in the 80s. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's the idea at the end of the day when it comes down to it, like we're looking at, you know, essentially the people, the masses of people are still being steered by a very small percentage of people who have yep. no good intention or design or will for them. It's amazing that this is the major course of human history. Whether you go to the pyramids, like a Giza, or whatever, in terms of how that worked down, talk about medieval, like um, like medieval times or whatever, where the people were like under like you know the the monarchy and all that stuff, whatever. You can go through all these different places in here. Like, there's always been an empire, and at the end of the day, the people have always been the fodder, and it just doesn't make sense. People got to collectively decide that enough is enough. I can't remember who said it, but it's been quoted many times by many people that the few control the many only when the many are complicit it's the only way it can happen and it's happened all throughout not just american history human history so and that that was going to be my response to what you were saying so you were saying like you you know people who are like aware of implicit bias and things of that nature yeah. the, the and they problem act is, like appropriately yeah but the <laughs> problem know? is a lot of people unfortunately when it comes down to it, they're they're unbothered because it doesn't directly impact or affect their daily lives. It's kind of like if you go to a cancer walk, a lot of people who are on those cancer walks is because they know somebody who's been affected by cancer or they've been affected by cancer. 
But people who haven't been touched by cancer at all, it's, you, you, those people are going to be few and far in between, typically. Same thing with homelessness or same thing with HIV and AIDS. Unless you have some type of personal connection, a lot of times you're not going to get involved. So and have be- any of you read Trevor Noah's book, Born a Crime? Yep. Uh, yeah, familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I've listened to it on Audible. I would yeah. recommend everybody it's awesome. listen to it. So, I haven't gone all the way through it, but yeah, I've listened to a good, a good amount of it. Yeah. So I'm listening to it now, and you may remember this part, Slim. Um, but this kind of ties into it. He was saying that, like, he grew up in Soweto, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you've ever been or are aware of it, Soweto was black. Um, Quite. And Trevor Noah, as you know, is biracial. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, he was telling this story about, like, he was playing with his cousins who were mm-hmm. all black. Yeah. And um, they were playing doctor or something, and he burst one of his cousin's eardrums with a matchstick and his grandmother gave his co- all of his cousins beatings except for him and when his mom got home she was like well why didn't you beat trevor and he's she's like well you know i know what it's like when you beat a black child i know what to expect but when you hit him he turns like blue and purple and red and all these different colors and then he starts saying how like as time went on he would notice that he would get away with so much more because of the color of his skin and because he was lighter and because he was different. And he was like, you know, I didn't make a connection at the time, but looking back at it, I can see why white people don't want to give up this privilege. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you have, you get away with all of these things and people look at you like you're different and you're exceptional when at the time you're probably just looking at yourself like I'm just me. Right. But as you become aware of it, it's not something that you would readily want to give up. Because why would why- you? Yeah. And I think that just kind of the the way he explained it, the way he explained privilege as a white person, as a black person, mm-hmm. was like really interesting. Yeah, because yeah. he the way he broke it down. Thank you, uh, T. Rich, the uh, for that recap. That's like you you're you're gonna make me like listen to it again. Um, and I think I don't know if you're reading it or if you're listening to it on Audible, but I think you. I'm listening to it on yeah, Audible. You do yourself a do service yeah, to yeah. Listen, listen to, to Trevor Noah yeah. narrate his own book. It mm-hmm. is spectacular. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like colorism in South Africa was real. Is. Like, like, Still. like I'm talking about like the way he described. I'm saying was because I'm talking about yeah. his specific mm-hmm. experience during that mm-hmm. time period for him. And he was talking about how like you had like dark skin you know uh africans and you had white africans and mixed africans they were treated like a completely different race <laughs> like it's, white and colored. yeah yeah like colored was like a whole completely different thing um and it just shows you how deep like the colorism uh can go um and the impacts of it um but yeah yeah it was that was I, and even just like somebody, I don't remember who, which one of you all was, were talking about just like how the few can take over the many, even if you just look at like mm-hmm. the entire institution of apartheid in South Africa mm-hmm. and how there were so many black people and like so it's like a nine to one many fewer white people. But yeah. you start to put people against, you know, the Zulus against the Kosa. And I know mm-hmm. there's supposed to be a click in there and I can't do the click. <laughs> Awesome. 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 because awesome. at least I'm acknowledging that I can't do it. That's all good. We know what you're doing. It's all good. I can't pronounce, but for anyone who's listening, um, yeah, I was just talking about like how that's like pitting people against each other. And mm-hmm. so like, instead of being like this one collective, it becomes like this, these fractured groups. And you know, so then yeah. you, 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 you want to talk about the farmer elite? Yeah, I mean, uh, like, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. like you to break in. This is yeah. the time you break in about like you know the the, uh, the farmer oligarchs and all that stuff. Yeah, it's perfect if, time. If you want to throw some uh, <laughs> Michelle Alexander, the new Jim Crow, into your reading list, I, I will recommend you go ahead and do that. Or I was you, I was talking about uh, the People's History of United. That's States. what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read all of it. Yeah, <laughs> read all of it. It's there for you. You know, it's like the American history is rife with with examples, and I think American history is a good history to look at because America is such a young nation relative to a lot of other places. This stuff's been happening around the world, you know, for millennia, but uh, it, you know, in America, it's been going on, you know, for a few hundred years. Um, so it's just it's fresh; <laughs> it's still on the fingertips. You know, we said we have we there are uh, uh, adults who are direct, like you know. Uh, they have family members, you know, who were like 
slaves like you know a generation or two ago you know in america um so i i think it's a it's a good and for the america to be as prosperous as it is and to to have the attitude it has about not being apologetic about its past um i think it's just a great it's a great study it's a great case study um that we could use to teach people how to do better um, even if some of the examples are don't do this like we've done in America. But yeah. I just want to just say it, it might sound silly or it's hard to heal when you can't acknowledge a healing needs to take place. And so because we can't acknowledge the healing needs to take place, they keep injuring us. Mm. No, you know, because it's hard to stop harming people if you don't acknowledge that you're actually causing real harm. Not even understanding that the failure to acknowledge harm is harm. Yeah. It's like if I if I if I punch you in the face and you fall down and you're on the ground, get over. And I'm looking at you like, yo, like why are you on the ground? Like you punched me in the face. Like right. yeah, but that was so long ago. Yeah, that was like get, get over yeah, that. Yeah, like get up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps while you do it. And like, you know what I'm saying? And if I decide to start getting up or whatever, like, what are you doing getting up and punch him again? Like, yeah, like, why are you on the ground again? Like, seriously. Oh, like, nah, get up. Nah. My, <laughs> my father, my father punched your father. Yeah. I wasn't there when that happened. I, I don't have anything to do with that. Yeah, I wasn't there when that. I have nothing to do with that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I think the moral of the story. Speaking of is, someone who has nothing to do with anything, um, America's favorite Uncle Ben. <sighs> Decided. Oh yeah, that guy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I can talk about that. I'm, I'm aware of that one. I, did you saw like how uh, Yana Presley? No, roasted no, him. I'm talking about the Oreos. I yes. didn't see the thing with Ayanna Presley. Uh, the Oreos. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, got brain damage. He thinks he's funny, and he's not. He thinks he's clever. T. Rich, I'm I'm not familiar. Somebody, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Somebody well, get me familiar. He was. I think it was at a congressional hearing, and they mm-hmm. asked him about REOs, which is real. Was it real estate? Um, bank, like bank, bank properties, mm-hmm. bank-owned properties, and they were asking him. Um, one of the one of the government officials. I don't remember if it was a senator, congressman, congressperson, was asking about REOs, and he was like, "Oreos, like the cookie," and she's like, "No, not." Oreo, R E O, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, real estate." She's like, "Do you know what the R is? Like, what the O is?" And he's like, "Organization." So then, um, yeah, this goes on, and she's like, "Yeah, no, that's not what it is." But because you know he thinks he's funny and everything's a fucking joke in this administration, he then takes a picture in his office holding a bag of Oreos, and is oh like, "Oh, God. yeah, ha ha ha." This is what I thought, but this is not Oreo. This is Oreo. Yeah. I mean. uh, And the Ayanna Presley thing was a different thing when he kept trying to. Yeah, but I think that was the same day. Claiming my time. You know, Black Jesus not going to save Ben Carson. He has a painting with Black Jesus. I know. That's why I specifically said Black Jesus. I'm acknowledging that you know. Black Jesus is not here for him. Mm -mm. He's a collaborator. But he is also just another, just another foolish part of this entire administration. Like the orange president was in China, Japan, Japan, Japan. Well, he was attending a sumo wrestling competition and decided to present a 60 pound trophy because that's what the fucking president of the United States should be doing, presenting some foolish ass trophy at a sumo wrestling event. Yes. He doesn't quite know that he's not a reality TV star anymore. He doesn't quite know that. These things are lost to him. I mean, I think I think he's he's actually speaking to the whole exceptionalism archetype that I was talking about before in that he knows that he's unprepared and like, you know, unqualified and all the uns that you can uh, uh, affiliate or attach to him. And this is how he copes with it. 
You know, he has to like do a lot of deflecting at when nobody's talking about Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton. He has to bring them up because he has no he knows that they're more qualified than he is and they're better at whatever he would have been doing than he is. So like at any point he can, he uses as an opportunity to deflect and to defray because he knows that he's not qualified to do anything that he's doing right now. He's not qualified to be commander in chief. But he also knows that his base loves it. There are people who still love him. Yeah. I mean, He's but doing you know. rallies because like one of my coworkers was in, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of Pennsylvania over this past weekend. And she was saying that they stopped at this restaurant and she was talking to this woman. She was like, oh, yes, Trump is coming here and he's going to do a rally. And she's like, oh, how do you feel about that? She's like, oh, we're excited. We love him here. I mean, like people love this vote. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, Pennsylvania is the Alabama of the North. Don't get it fucked up. But at the end of the day, I, I really just think like uh, you know, minstrelsy is not just like you know for black folk. I feel like Trump is a black minstrel. I mean, a white minstrel. I really do. Like he's he's, you know, and and people are just eating that shit up. But just I. Well, because he's a PT Barnum. Right. There's also something very like. American about him. Very like, eh, I'm probably not the best qualified for this, but I'm the most boisterous. I'm the loudest voice in the room. I'm, you know, I have the most confidence and Based on I don't, but he's so frightened. Like, figure all of this shit out. But that, I mean, that, I think the thing that is so appealing about him, and it's the same thing with P.T. Barnum, is that what's fascinating to people not taken in by it is that like the people who buying it are being sold in open con. Yeah, I mean, I mean he like open about the fact that like I love low information voters. You know what I'm saying? He both, you know what I'm saying, gave them praise and insulted them in the same breath. He also counted himself as one of them. He said, "I I, I love the poorly educated. We're the most loyal." Blah 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 blah, he, so forth and so on. He, he counted himself in that. Read, he don't read the presidential daily briefings. There he, there's are. a lot of stuff he doesn't he, he doesn't read. Yeah, questionable if he can. Yeah, Fuss. there's also that. Uh, so I mean, I just think is the, the irony is that he he puts this whole thing about how tough he is. But if y'all remember, like when he was running for president and somebody ran up on stage, how bitch made he looked. Like he looked totally unprepared, even though Secret Service was up there to intercept the dude. He looked super shook. I mean, not I mean, saying that you shouldn't be shook if somebody run up on stage on you. Like, why you talking? the draft and not even in a Bill Clinton. Oh, bone spurs. Yeah. In a way, but like, you know, spurs. like made up a fake medical condition. I mean, come on now. Well, bone spurs is bone real, spurs. but that's not, you know, that's not going to stop you. From it, it is, but he don't have bone spurs. Yeah, yeah I know. It's just not going to so, stop I you. Mean, you know. Oh, he's like the healthiest president of all times. If yeah. you ask that. Ever. Ask that doctor. There's never Fucking been a stable genius. Healthy. Yes, he did say he's a stable genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... So before we go, let's end up on a, a light note. Did anything positive happen this week? Over the past week, Sasha Obama went to the prom and she fucking slayed and she looked gorgeous and that should make you smile. I did not see the pics, but I will look at them. I mean, she's in a very simple black dress with a high slit. It's not like, you know, all these other not too much, but you know, right? She doesn't have like diamonds and on trim and on a <laughs> a horse drawn carriage or a horse drawn limousine. Yeah, gotcha. Rolls Royce limousine, like all these kids like to do now. She looks very much like a a child going to the prom. Oh, not like Cinderella stripper. No, oh, she is not Thadiana going to the prom. Mm. <laughs> and it is nice. That's Got a up. nice little black date, and I'm like, hey, maybe she's hanging all out right with now. People, and she's going to make some friends that won't tell all their business to the public. Hmm. For real. Because they're still in D.C. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're still kicking it over in Colorado. Hmm. Yeah. Somebody called her the Beyonce of the Obama family. <laughs> she getting information. So, yeah, before you know, we dive into more trash, we're going to end on a happy, shining note. <laughs> I'm good for that. We're shining. Shining, shining, right shining. Yeah. It's a different transition. Dizzy mm. is Beyonce. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. I like it. 
Try, try. I don't All have right. a third though. Sorry, <laughs> I was thinking. It's okay. It don't. It don't always have to comment. That's fine. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the love I feel right now. You can't shut the fuck up sometimes. No, I was. I was just saying. I was relieving the pressure on you to feel like you always have to. I don't feel like I always have to comment. But thank you. I, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shade. Oh. What are you so excited about? <laughs> All right, we're gonna go now, guys. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Signing off. VT Rich. K Savage. Leaving at the third, aka Da Vinci Parks. And that's dope. <laughs> All right. Share us with your friends. Uh, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And wash your legs. I can't say that enough. Use Christie's mouth soap to wash your legs. Wash your mouth out with soap and then use that soap to wash your legs. But get a watch. Stay plus stay Exfoliate. Just, just, you know, just get the dead skin. I mean, don't die. Stay alive. Wash your whole body. Rinse it thoroughly. And definitely don't end up in a vegetative state in America. We, we don't know how it's going to go. You think it's going to be any better than, like, you know, like. I don't know. <laughs> As humans are terrible, so. Yeah. Just, you know. yeah.